And, and as we get into this, one of the things I was looking through, and Pastor Stephen and I were working closely writing this next series together, and, and you know, you go through and you study the armor of God, and it's amazing. And you see how Paul takes the equipment that the Romans wear and then associates that, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with different things that we should put on. But the one thing I noticed was, was missing when I get to heaven. I'll sit down with Paul and say, Paul, did the Lord not tell you to put this in there? Or what happened, buddy? But we missed the weapon of worship. And worship is a weapon. I don't know if you know that. Worship is a weapon. And I think Paul actually knew it, and he demonstrated it for us. And I'm, so I'm excited to teach about it just a little bit today as we get set up for this next series. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. I encourage you, bring your own Bible. You got a paper one, bring it. You never know. They might just EMP and shut your phone off someday, and you're going to wish that you had that paper Bible. So make sure you have one of those. If you don't, we can get you one and bring that with you, even if it's a different translation than what we read from, which is the CSB. It's great. You can see different versions, translations glean even more from God's word. I hope I gave you enough time to find it. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. I'm going to start reading. Here we go. It says, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. Come on, somebody, who's been greatly annoyed? I would be by that too. Paul was greatly annoyed. So turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace and to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. And they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They're Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. So the crowd joined in in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. I just want to pause here for a moment. This is a fascinating story. I just want you to pause and just think about for a second what we just read. Sometimes we read through the Bible and we're like, oh, yeah, that's the line, that line. Especially if you've gone through it before, you listen to it, you have heard the story before. Think with me just for a moment what it would be like if you, out here, maybe you're down at HEB and you're just talking to somebody about Jesus. The next thing you know, you're being drugged into a court. They strip your clothes off of you and begin to beat you with rods. And then from there, they drag you into a jail. Into a jail. And the Bible goes on to say, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and griping and crying out. It's not actually what it says. That's what I would have been doing. That's probably what you would have been doing. What it actually says is, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were all listening to them. How many know? They probably didn't want to get their praise on at this very moment. They've been out here following Jesus, man, just trying to do, Jesus came, he started all this stuff, now he left us, we're just doing what he told us to do, and here we are, getting beat near to death and thrown into jail. How many know, if Job's friends were around, they would have something to say. 
Maybe you should just curse God and die in prison. This is probably what's going on. And the prisoners are all watching them. What are they going to do? Oh, they've been out here preaching and proclaiming, but now we got them in the inner prison with locks and shackles around their feet. What are they going to do now? Who are they going to be today? The Bible says that at about midnight, they began to praise and worship. Now listen, I know some of you, especially under the age of 18, may feel like you were drugged here today. Some of you maybe stayed out a little too late last night and you just didn't want to get up this morning. Some of you maybe got in a fight with your spouse on the way. You're like, forget it, we're turning around the car, we're going home. Some of you, you couldn't find the perfect, perfect pair of pants to go with that new shirt that you just bought. And you had an existential crisis about whether or not you could show up to church today without the perfect outfit on. Don't worry, no matter how hard you try, none of you will ever look as good as Mr. Bobby Brown in his suit and tie every single Sunday. Listen to me. I care about you deeply, and I care about the things that happen in your life. I don't really care about whatever it was that the enemy tried to use to prevent you coming into church. You should show up and praise God like your life depends on it anyway. And that's what we find out right here, that Paul and Silas, they do this. It's midnight. It is midnight. And they're praising anyway. And I think we can catch something about midnight because Paul, he knew the Bible. And I think he knew the, the, the old Psalm 30 that says, though the sorrow may last for the night, joy cometh in the morning. Do you know when the morning starts? It's not a trick question. It starts at midnight. Some of y'all were still up last night, so you got up earlier than me this morning. Paul, look, I think he's looking around. What time is it? Anybody know what time is it? I think it's about midnight. Oh, then the joy is on its way. We should start to worship and see what happens. Let's keep going. Verse 26. Suddenly, how many need a suddenly in your life today? Something's been going on. It feels like midnight. feels like the chains are on, and you could use a suddenly. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and he was going to kill himself since he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And right away, he and all his family were baptized. And he brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced, because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. With that story in the background today, I want to talk to you about how we use worship as a weapon. Worship is a weapon. And I want to tell you, when you deploy this weapon, even when it doesn't make sense to worship, even when you're in the middle of a fight, of a fire, of a failure, worship is still your weapon. And here's why you use it. Number one, I'm going to give you a few reasons. You can write this down. Worship changes your focus. Worship changes your focus. You're Paul and Silas. I told you to think with me about this. You show up, beat down. Clothes gone, shackles around your feet. What might you be focused on in that moment? I'd be focused on my pain. I don't think Paul was oblivious to what was going on to him. 
He was human after all. And yet, he said, I need something to change my focus. So he began to worship, to shift his focus, to shift it off of what was going on in his world. I know what's happening to me, but greater is he who is in me than he that is in this jail, than the shackles that are on my feet, than the handcuffs that are on my arms, than the blows that struck my body. My mind, my mind wants to focus on all the things I can't do. But when we praise and worship, it forces our focus on the things that God can do. And suddenly, things will change. Some of you said, I need a suddenly. Did you know that you can invite the suddenly on by changing your focus from what you can do to what God can do? Worship is a weapon that cuts through the darkest of circumstances, and it also attracts the presence of God. It attracts the presence of God. It's the thing that says, my spirit is failing, but your spirit is strong. When we worship, God infuses our spirit with his, and we strengthen. We straighten up our backs, and we say, I think with God, I can handle this. Start out worshiping to change your focus, but when that happens, when you change what you focus on, number two, worship changes your perspective. What you're looking at determines what you think. If you walk around like this all the time, you're gonna miss some things. You're gonna miss the beauty of the world around you. You're gonna miss things coming at you. You're gonna miss opportunities. You might just miss God. So sometimes, when everything in you wants to just go, God, look at all this, you gotta look up and go, yeah, but God, look at all this. And as you see him, your perspective will change. Look at Psalm 73. I can't read the whole thing. I'm just going to draw out a few verses here that help paint this picture. Verse 16 17 says this. When I tried to understand it all, it seemed hopeless. Anybody ever been there before? I'm trying to understand it. It feels hopeless. I don't even know what's happening right now. Until, everybody say until. Until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When all you can see is what's right in front of you, it may seem hopeless until, until. There's a reason, and I quoted it in our huddle this morning, that David said in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord, because he knew that when he came into the sanctuary to worship God, the focus would shift, the perspective would shift, and things would begin to change. And then he could say all through the Psalms, all the Psalm writers write something along these lines, that Yahweh is my strength and portion forever. And they don't get this insight by just staring at everything is wrong. Although there's plenty of Psalms that will do that for you too. You read those, you begin to understand. You're like, man, this is some serious depression in these things. I know, why do you think they said, let's go to the sanctuary and figure some stuff out with God? Because the world is daunting, the world is tough. And it can't be de- defeated or destroyed by your strength. But the giants you face, no matter how big they are, your God is bigger. The other thing that worship does, the other thing that worship does is it actually changes your position. That's number three. Write that down. It changes your position. Ephesians chapter two, if you remember, I know we all slept a few times and probably ate some tacos since then. But in week two of Ephesus, we talked about the fact that in verse six it says, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens 
in Christ Jesus. And we talked about the fact that how we live now is in the now and the not yet. There's a different reality that exists aside from just the one that you can see. We talked about the unseen realm and we talked about the, the, the divine council and how God has a seat for us in those spaces and places. We're being seated in higher places. In fact, heavenly places with Christ. And in heaven, around the throne root of God, worship is the currency. Worship is the currency of heaven. Worship is the currency of the throne room. And Revelation 4 paints a picture where these creatures, I don't know what they are, how to describe them, are just creatures encircling the throne day and night, never stop saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forevermore, watch what happens. The 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne and say, oh, Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by you they exist and were created. Even as I read that, if you have the spirit of God in you, you feel it right now, don't you? There is something empowering about joining in with the worship happening in heaven, even from the place you sit now. And when you worship, when you worship, there's this thin space that C.S. Lewis talks about between heaven and earth that gets even thinner when we worship. And it's like, man, we're here, but we're there. It changes our position. It changes our position. When you worship, you might sing a little off-key, you might fumble through the words. We all do it, right, Beth? All of us. I might do it today. God doesn't say when you worship perfectly, when you get the words right, when you sing on pitch. He does say if you're going to play, play skillfully, so try. But he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for you to humble your heart. Actually be willing to open your mouth and sing. Probably even especially if you don't sing so good. Every, that's, that's like a way of humbling yourself, right? To give God worship. And the Bible tells us that when we worship, that's where he wants to be. You, O oh Lord, are enthroned in the praises of your people. We see this concept in Scripture. And so I think Paul knew. When I begin to worship, I literally occupy a different place and space than I used to. So though I may be in a prison, though I may be in a jail, I'm gonna turn this place in to the throne room of heaven by putting myself there. And I know how to do it. I start to pray a little bit and then I start to worship and then God comes and I go and I'm not sure what else is happening. But suddenly something changes and there's an earthquake and the shackles that were on them are no more. This is what it said. Remember verse 29 and 30. Then the jailer called for the lights. I would too. There's an earthquake. They told me, watch these especially. Make sure they don't get out. Everything goes crazy. They're all free. Paul says, don't kill yourself. We didn't leave. Who does that? Just curious. Who gets thrown into jail unjustly? Worships God. Worships God. God shows up. Breaks your change and then you stay there and tell the one who puts you in them, hey man, we're good, we're good, we're still here. You see, I, this, this, this story kind of messes with me a little bit because I believe that worship can break chains and set you free and the point is to be free. 
Paul knew there was even more to it than this. It wasn't about him. It's about God's glory. So he says, hey, we're still here. Had to be confusing and disorienting for the people around. Like, I'm sorry, what? Everybody was free. You know, some people were running out the door. Paul says, hey, we're still here. Actually, guys, come back. You can't leave. You can't leave. There's something else going on. I know you want to run. No, get back. The jailer comes, asks for the lights, falls down before Paul and Silas. You would too. You would too if this happened. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Somebody came in here today. How do I be saved? That's how. Believe. 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 Like your life depends on it because it does. Believe that Jesus is Lord. Right away. Verse 33, all his family were baptized. Brought him to the house, rejoiced, because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Listen to me, worship doesn't just change your focus. It doesn't just change your perspective. It doesn't just change your position. Worship changes those around you. Your worship changes those around you. Paul and Silas, they chose to worship in the midst of their darkest circumstances, knowing that people were watching. I mean, I just try to imagine, like, what if I was not them? What if I was the other dude who had done something bad and got thrown in jail, and now they bring in these beaten, bloody, naked dudes, and they're singing songs to God? Like, can you imagine? What are you doing? I mentioned it earlier. Job's friends, you would have got some of that. I could hear them almost like the devil in the garden. Did your God really say? Look at you now. You've been trying to follow Jesus and look at you now. They're watching, they're watching, they're watching. And listen to me, people in your life, you post your little stuff about praising the Lord and your scriptures on Facebook, they're watching to see what happens when your world gets kicked in. They wanna know, do you really believe this? If it's true for you, it'll show up in the hardest times. It's easy to believe when things are good. Oh, yes, bless me, Lord. Give me health and wealth and prosperity. He does. Woo! Praise the Lord. That's easy. And yeah, every good thing comes from God. But what happens when the bad things come? Who gets the blame for that? What happens to your worship? What happens to your praise? People are watching. I want to tell you a story quickly. One of the reasons that I love Beth and Daniel Allen up here leading worship in our church not only are they incredible friends, some of the most loyal people I've ever met, not only are they great worship leaders, not only are they servants, you wanna talk about servant leadership, they drag their behinds in here at 6 a.m. every single Sunday, set up this stuff along with many other people, then lead you and pour out spiritual, emotional, physical, pouring it all out, two services, pack it all up, do it again next week, if that wasn't enough, that would be enough. But let me tell you why I really love having them lead worship in our church. Because 11 years ago, I watched them walk through hell on earth. They gave birth, Beth gave birth to a beautiful baby boy named Gibson, prematurely with a lot of health challenges. And Ashley and I and others were with him at that time watching going, God help God heal, God save, God deliver. And they were too. They were too. 
And unfortunately, Gibson only lived on this earth for a few short months before he got his ultimate healing and was taken into the presence of God. But while he was here, they were worshiping. While he was here, they were praying. While he was here, they were testifying. While he was here, lives were being affected. God had a purpose for Gibson's life as short as it was. And part of it was to build his parents in a way that they would have never been built otherwise. Part of it was to be a testimony to the nurses and doctors that would care for him. Part of it would be to make me, who's leading worship at the church that we go to, watch them walk through this and go, I know nothing about worship. Nothing. I just watch them and go, I know nothing. Nothing. I watched them go through this trial, watched them lose their precious child that so many of us loved and were praying for. And then, within weeks, Beth, her little powerful self, back up on the stage of the church we were all ministering at the time, talking about how God was faithful even in the midst of something that most of you in this room will never experience. You should thank God for it and will never understand. Maybe you've been through something similar. Maybe you've been through something worse, though it's hard to imagine. Maybe you've been through your own stuff. But what I want to tell you, when I watch them get up here and lead, I know what they've been through. I go, I can bring my praise. I know I had a hard morning. Whatever, I forgot something. The computer's broken again. Jackson's doing an amazing job. It's not you. It's the old Mac. Listen, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what's going on. God is still God. He's still on the throne. And when you worship him anyway, not only does it change you and strengthen you and you find some faith you didn't know you had, but everybody standing around is watching going, what in the world? How can they praise right now? Why are they going to church instead of being out drinking with us? We're just watching the world burn down and they're singing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. You know why? Because they actually trust in Jesus. And when they worship him, they find themselves in another place with him. And my friends, I have to tell you, that should inspire you no matter what you're going through and what you went through to show up on time, get to your seats, put your hands in the air and say, God, you are worthy no matter what. That's just one testimony. And it's a powerful one, but there's others we could talk about. And many of you in this room have some. I wish you would tell me about them because I want to celebrate with you too. I want to learn from you and your journeys and your faith. And I want to see what God's done in your life because that will inspire me to love him even more than I already do. Quickly, before I close, I want to just show you three ways that you can actually use worship as a weapon. Three ways to use it. Number one, sing the scriptures. This was a really novel idea. Took me a long time to come up with that one. Had to really dig deep and get creative. Sing the scriptures. I love an old song that comes right out of Psalm 121. You can put it up on the screen, but it goes, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven and creator of the earth. It comes from this song. There's nobody plagiarized more than Christian worship artists. And some of them, I wish they plagiarized a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Show me your songs, I'll show your theology. Some of it's scary. All right. It doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter if you can sing on pitch. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if it rhymes. It doesn't matter if the tempo and the cadence is good. 
It doesn't matter if it's poetic. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Pick a scripture and sing it out. I do this sometimes by myself because what doesn't matter to me and God might matter to you. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. Pick a scripture, sing it. Number two, sing a new song. Look what Psalm 40 says this. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. And he brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay. And he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put what? A new song. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. I don't really understand it all, but somehow Bono and you two wrote the best song about this verse. I will sing, sing a new song. You know that one? Comes right out of the scripture. Look, then... It's telling me, hey, there's a new one. There's a new one in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. I've said this before in here, but I'll say it again to some new people. I've, I've, I'm a songwriter. I've written a lot of songs with a number of people even in this room. But there are some songs I've written that only God has ever heard and only God ever will. And you should be glad for it. I do know the difference between a good song and a bad song. God doesn't care about the bad ones. He cares about whether or not it's honest, if it's genuine, if it's for him or if it's for me. So I got some new songs, and I keep getting new songs that I sing for him. Number three, number three, we're almost done. Sing like your victory depends on it. Sing like your victory depends on it. You want to know why you should sing like your victory depends on it? Because sometimes it does. Because sometimes it does. Not just like how you sing or how well you sing, but the fact that you'll just go, God, I, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, even this one, right now, I need you. Sing like your victory depends on it. I want to close with one other story that shows up worship as a weapon. It's one of my favorite Bible stories for a lot of reasons. Those of you who know me well will pick out two or three of them. It comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning verse 14. It says this, in the middle of the congregation, oh, they find themselves where? In the middle of the congregation. They got to church. The Spirit of the Lord then came on. Jehazel, and he said, listen carefully, all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Oh, and you too, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You want to know the backstory here? Three different armies are coming around Judah. Three of them. They're going, maybe we could take that one. That one seems a little. And it says they brought vast armies. Not just like, oh, there's an army of 60, an army of 100, no, vast armies, but you can't count. But then there's a third one. They got them, triangulated, coming at them. They have no idea what to do, so they go to church. And the word of the Lord comes. And as we says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast numbers, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. You will see them coming up the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jeruel. Watch this. But you do not have to fight this battle. Position yourselves. So go there, be there. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow go out and face them for the Lord is with you. Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground and all Judea and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before him. Fell down before the Lord to worship him. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kethatites. I'm gonna mess some of these up. And the Korathites, they all stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel, shouting, what does it say? Shouting what? 
loudly. Come on, somebody. Shouting loudly. Shouting. You're like, why do you shout all the time? Because when I read the scriptures, I just see a shout when people come into the presence of God. And now watch what happens. In the morning, they got up early and they went out to the wilderness. And as they went to go out, Jehoshaphat stood there and said, hear me, Judah. You and your inhabitants, believe the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. For they went out in front of the armed forces and they kept on singing this. Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. The moment they began their shouts and praise, the Lord set an ambush. What? The Lord God set an ambush against the Ammonites, that was one army, against the Moabites, that was the other ones, and against the inhabitants of Mount Seir who came to fight against Judah. And they were defeated. Verse 23, when they had finished, they helped destroy each other. Do you see what's happening here? Hear me, church. You may be in a season where you feel like, I got not one, not two, but three different armies all coming around me right now. I don't know what I'm going to do. You may be facing an impossible situation in your marriage. You may be facing an impossible situation in your family. You might be facing an impossible situation in your very body. Maybe your health is struggling. You may be facing an impossible situation in your job. You may be facing an impossible situation in your relationship. You might be facing an impossible situation inside your own heart that you can't see a way out of. I looked around, I had no hope. I can't even figure this out but I know what to do. I go to the sanctuary. I go and praise. By the way, wherever you sing, wherever the feet of a person filled with the Spirit of God goes becomes holy ground. So yeah, it's better when we all come together, but you can walk down the street and turn that into a sanctuary too. Just start praising. Just start praising because there is no army so powerful that your God can't deal with it. I gotta show you one last scripture. Psalm 47 I'm just going to give you verse one. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. What? Shout to God. Come on, somebody. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. I have to tell you about the word clap because some of y'all say, Pastor, you sure do clap loud. Why do you clap so loud? Let me tell you why. I'm going to show you right here. The word clap in Hebrew is the word taka, and here's what it means, to strike, to thrust, to drive. Every time I clap, I'm clapping saying, my God is good. My God is faithful. My God is true. My God is for me. I don't care who's against me. God is with me. A thousand may fall at my left. Ten thousand may fall at my right but I will not be defeated because the Lord is my shield. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my help. The Lord is my ever present in a time of need. The Lord is with me, so I will praise him. Now, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, no matter what day, as long as it ends in Y, you're gonna find me praising and you're gonna find me clapping loud because when I clap like that, I'm letting the enemy know, hey, I'm striking out at you. I'm thrusting a blow back at you. I'm driving you out with my praise because when I praise him, when our praise goes up, God's help comes down. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, 
and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.